verses 14 through 21. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have everlasting and eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. Before I get started, I want to give a shout out. Where are you at, Laura? There we are. Laura Fogel's Sunday school class is tweeting. <laughs> Our Sunday school class, hashtag Christ Chasers, came up with this question for hashtag Awesome Jesus. Can you help people who are struggling to find food, clean water, or shelter? Can you cure all diseases? Thank you, first of all, for leading our children in knowing who Christ is and for dragging them into the 21st century <laughs> with tweets. If you have been a part of the life of the church at all, particularly as a child in a Sunday school class or in children's church, some of the scripture you heard read uh, will sound familiar to you. Now, to be sure, not every uh, part of that uh, scripture is on the tip of your tongue, but you probably can recite John 3.16. Many of you can. And that's the one scripture, we, one of the scriptures we still offer in the King James Version, don't we? But let's, let's offer it together. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And even those who may have never heard of this scripture most likely remember seeing um, the John 3.16 man at ball games. Do you remember him? His name was Roland Frederick Stewart, known as the Rainbow Man. He had the, the rainbow Afro wig, and he held up a sign saying John 3.16. Now, Stewart became a Christian, and this was his way of, uh, of living out, sharing the good news of Jesus. Now, Stuart uh, uh, was, was mentally ill and uh, started living out religious ideations in not a good way, but, but this verse was important to him and important to us today, too. It's known as the gospel in a nutshell or the gospel truth. And again, many of us familiar with this verse we become too familiar sometimes that 
when we read it or hear it read, we're vulnerable to going on autopilot. And during our worship or personal devotion, when we read or hear this scripture and we go on autopilot, we do something that, that doesn't build up our spirituality. It can either stagnate us or, or make us um, um, numb to it sometimes. We stop asking the question, how does this scripture speak to me now, today? What is it that God would have me receive from this passage of scripture today? When we read scripture like John 3, 16, just as an historical moment in the life of Jesus, we lose the wonder. We lose the, the mystery. We lose the grace that is offered to us. When we come upon such familiar scripture like John 16, John 3, 16, a danger we have is remembering it as we first learned it. And as we have always remembered it, even though our lives and our world has continued to change. To really embrace the truth of John 3.16, we must discover one thing, why Nicodemus sought Jesus out that night and was Jesus shared with him this verse. Now, we would have heard about Nicodemus if we had read verses 1 through 13. Nicodemus was a man of faith. He went to Jesus by night because he was seeking truth. He was seeking in truth deeper than what he experienced. And we too do that. We're on a journey of truth seeking in our lives. We must also ask, why, why did Jesus tell this story about Moses and some snake on a stick being lifted up? And then how Jesus him, himself would be lifted up. You see, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, we hear about the Israelites traveling around in the desert. And the desert can be an unforgiving place. And in the desert, we're told that uh, the Israelites were being bitten by venomous snakes. And so Moses tells, I mean, God tells Moses to uh, create an image of a snake on a staff. And when people were bitten, people would look upon that image and they would not die. And this, this Old Testament story and stories like this in other uh, traditions have been so important that Greg they become the symbol for medicine and healing. You'll notice the medical symbol of the snake on a staff. And Jesus says that just as Moses lifts that staff with the image of a snake, Jesus would be lifted up through crucifixion, and those who looked upon him would be saved. However, many things happened in, with the God's uh, sharing of love, the experience of God's grace before Nicodemus. So bear with me for a minute to travel through some of the scripture that talks about God's eternal love and God's grace. The whole book of the, the whole Bible is a story from beginning to end about God's relationship with God's people and God's love for them. Now, too often the Old Testament is pigeonholed, isn't it? As this a testament of an angry God who punishes those who always disobey him. But you know, it's in the Old Testament that we hear how God's love was stirred within God. The love of God's heart was so moved with compassion when he heard the Israelites crying in Egypt. They were under the bondage and slavery of the Egyptians. And God not only heard their cries, God was moved to liberate them from bondage and from slavery. It was God's love that offered the Israelites leadership and guidance in the person of Moses to lead them to freedom. It was God's love that gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments. That was important because in the, uh, 
uh, time that the uh, Israelites were in Egypt, they had forgotten how to worship God. And uh, God gave them ten commandments to learn how to love God with all they were, to love their neighbor as their self, learn how to worship and praise God again. The commandments. Even time and again when the Israelites would not keep them, it was God's love that raised up the prophets to preach to them that God wants to forgive them and be in relationship with them. It was God's love that invited not only the Israelites to be in a relationship with him, but also those who were known as outsiders or foreigners, those who were not Israelites. God wanted them to know how much God loved them and wanted to be in a relationship with them. When the Israelites were exiled to Babylon and their temple was destroyed, it was divine love rather than harsh judgment that led a benevolent king to free the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem where they could once again rebuild their temple. It was God's love that sent Jesus to become God in the flesh where God became human so that we might be able to know the God we cannot see. God and Jesus lived and taught that God's love is not just for those who look like us and think like us and believe like us. God's love is meant for those who don't act and behave like we do. God's love even taught us that we're to be, uh, love our enemies. It was the love of Jesus that compelled the, the first century church to have open minds, open hearts, and open doors long before the Methodists had that slogan. The first century church invited uh, not only Jews but Gentiles. Not only Gentiles but marginalized like the lame and the blind and the eunuchs. People who were forbidden to gather in the temple for worship or in the synagogue for worship. Even in our own day, when powers within the church try to limit God's love to those who only believe and think like we do, God's love through faithful people remind us that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And the word world means exactly that. It means that Jesus came to save the whole of creation, declaring that God's love is for the world exactly as it says, regardless of race or nationality or creed or gender or sexual orientation it is all the gospel truth in this scripture helps us see how god is light and shines with grace uh, covering the darkness of the dominant values of society the gospel of john invites us to give over our darkness to jesus and to allow him to fill us with the light of grace this scripture resonates with that old testament passage from deuteronomy where God says, today I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life that you may and your descendants may live. We hear the promise of John 3.16 every time we celebrate Holy Communion. We hear that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus, we are forgiven. Now to be sure, we live in a soundbite world, don't we? No, that's not all bad, Laura. We, we need to get bits and pieces out. But, you know, too often I think we, we live in a hurry, don't we? We live in a world that is short on deep reading and deep thinking and deep praying. Too often we come up short on deep loving, I think. It seems that we're in such a hurry and it, it affects our relationship with God and with others. To embrace the unconditional God so loved the world we need to heed the psalmist's instructions to be still now and again. Be still and know that God is God. 
we need to find some time whenever and wherever that time might be for you a time where you can be still with scripture and prayer you know when we forego um, time set aside with God um, during the life's difficulties and adversities we find it hard to find comfort and and uh, words of a hopeful future when we forego being still with God in the community of the church during times of unrest, during times in our lives when we're struggling with personal problems or uh, things are weighing too heavy, we find ourselves with feelings of fear, feelings of hopelessness. And this is not what God wants for us. God invites us to be still and to read scripture and to pray without being in a hurry. When we carve out time, no matter how long or how short it is, and that's important for you to hear, I told the 830... Um, worship that used to drive me crazy when people would talk about how early John Wesley got up in the morning and read scripture and how long he read scripture well I'm not John Wesley and you're not either you're you however God leads you to be in unhurried time with him that's what you need to pay attention to and when we are in unhurried time we discover courage within ourselves to love God deeper and to love others more fully. When we slow down just enough to not be in a hurry, we'll find ourselves learning to love even when we don't think we have anything within us to love with. Carving out time for reading and for scripture praying allows us to become more confident in our discipleship and drink in the hope and grace of God's mercy. It gives us courage to live as C.S. Lewis instructed do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor act as if you did as soon as we do this he says we find one of the greatest secrets when you are behaving as if you love someone you will presently come to love them eventually if you injure someone you dislike you'll find yourself disliking him more if you do him a good turn you will find yourself disliking him less now in a soundbite world, what that means is fake it till you make it. Right? You see, loving like Jesus is our Lord's invitation to behave ourselves into new ways of thinking and living, renewing our minds and our hearts and our spirits. We've been taught since we were young that we must first believe before we embrace in our heart. That can happen, but I am convinced, too, that God can help us act and behave ourselves into ways of new thinking and new uh, living, ways that renews our minds and our, our hearts. In short, God so loved the world that Jesus Christ, that through his death and resurrection, we can be transformed to love even in the midst of adversities, even in the midst of our fears, when we feel empty, when we feel like we have nothing to offer. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, experienced a, a faith crisis at one point in his life. In fact, he came to feel as if he had no faith. And it came to a place where he thought, well, I'll, I just don't deserve to be a preacher of the gospel. Well, Wesley had a good friend named Peter Baylor. Peter, Peter Baylor was a Moravian uh, missionary. And he saw Wesley in spiritual pain and loved him enough to say, John, preach faith till you have it, and then because you have it, you'll preach it. Baylor was telling Wesley and telling us today to not stop being still and knowing God is God because we don't feel warm and inspired. 
Don't stop loving deeply and compassionately because we feel angry and wounded. We can live into God's love, God so loved the world in spite of these things. And just as Baylor told Wesley, as we continue living faithfully, when we, even when we feel we're unfaithful, even when it might feel as if God is a million miles away, when we live into the way of God's love anyway, we'll eventually come to experience, recall, and remember his grace for our lives. 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich experienced a crisis like this, and she said God came to her one night and shared with her, even in the midst of her troubles, her adversities, God said to her, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. You may find yourself today in a place where it might be empty in your faith, where you feel as if the well of your soul has, has run dry. You may be at a place in your life where you find it difficult to pray or to read scripture. You may be at a hard place in your life where your circumstances seem to be robbing you of joy. This morning, during this season of Lent, I invite you to give God those things that are heavy within you. I invite you to make space in your life to be still, to be not in a hurry, whether it's a moment or a minute, whether it's a minute or five, to make time, even though you may not feel like it, to read Scripture, to pray. I invite you to read Scripture and to pray until you experience God's love and grace within you and in your relationship with the community called the church. As we continue our Lenten journey, I encourage us to have a desire to think deeply, to live deeply, to pray deeply, and to love deeply into the promise that God so loved the world. I encourage you to be bold in asking God to help you discover this, this stillness where you place yourself in the posture to, to receive that, that light that he offers a light that can't be extinguished but will find its way to your heart. This is the gospel truth that God so loved the world. The late Reverend Peter Gomes wrote, God is, we are. In spite of our fumbles and because of God's grace, we are not daunted by the troubles of this age, nor are we fearful of what is to come. We do not bless God for our wealth, our health, or our feeble wisdom, we bless God that God is, that we are, and that his promise and his love shall be with us when time itself shall be no more. This, my friends, is the gospel truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's good people said, I invite us to stand as we